for human beings, mental health is the ability to connect deep with oneself and in a way that helps us connect with others. Yes. Isn't that why we're here? Yes. To be in I connection? think the connection, I just hear like a high level of mental health, right? And mental wellness is our ability to connect and respond, right? I think that's the other piece that you touched yes. on is, is how are we responding to the stimulus around us, right? How are we responding to what happens on a daily basis? Are we present and able to respond in connection with what happens? Are we shutting down? Are we running away? Are we fighting it? Are we perceiving what happens because we have trauma in our past, right? Like how are we responding to that kind of environment, whatever environment we're encountering at whatever moment? If you know there is something deep inside of you that is yearning to be seen, to be known, and to have expression, if there's something you need to reclaim and remember, maybe it's your power, your purpose, your gifts, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Reclaiming Ourselves. I'm your host, Sonia Statman, and I'm honored to have three amazing co-hosts, Laura Shook Guzman, Belinda Hahn, and Emily Sikorsi here with me on this journey to self-discovery. Every week, we're going to help you unravel and remember what it means to reclaim yourself, to own who you are, to recognize your innate worth and greatness. Now, this podcast is a deep dive into self-development, healing, and empowerment. So hold on. Here we go. Hello, and welcome back to Reclaiming Ourselves. I am so excited to be here today with my longtime co-host, Laura Shook Guzman. We're going to dive into a topic that is definitely near and dear to her heart and something I am also very passionate about as well. Today, we really want to talk about you know, what it means to reclaim our mental health, right? What does that even mean, our mental health? Why do we need to reclaim it? This is going to be a really juicy podcast that covers kind of a lot in this arena. And I think it's a really important topic right now. What do you think, Laura? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Honestly, I think a lot of people feel that they know what mental health is. It's almost like such a general term wellness, well-being, mental health, mental wellness. We, we see these words, these terms, and people think, oh, I know what that is. But then when you really break it down and you ask someone, mm -hmm. well, what does mental health mean to you? Or how do you measure your mental health? How do you know you're in a, a place where it is healthy and well? And when is it challenged and you know feeling ill at ease? Like, how do you measure that? Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a really good conversation to kind of come back to the basics of what it is and how does one go about reclaiming it? Yes. Yes. I love that. And, you know, there's like so many threads I want to pull this one moment. I could just feel like all these, okay, wait, where do I start? Where do I start? I mean, I love this idea of defining the measurement, right? Like what does that look like for each of us? Because I think a lot of us are riding on this kind of burnout, mental exhaustion, like our mental health is not great. And yet that's our norm, 
right? Like that's what we consider normal. And so I think it's re- going to be really interesting to kind of unpack where is the line between when we feel really mentally healthy. And the other thing I think we've got to unpack is, is mental health just mental, right? Like we talk about mental health, but I mean, you and I definitely talk about how it is physical, it's somatic, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual, right? It's like, it encompasses all of us. So why have we relegated it to mental health? (laughs) That's a great starting point. It's like, why do we use this word? I mean, I think it speaks a lot to the origins of our Mm -hmm. school, of our field of study for psychology, that Mm -hmm. the study, you know, of the self, of the psyche of the human for so many years uh, began with the mind, the fascination of the mind and seeing so much of what we could understand because we didn't have all of the scientific tools that we have now to measure what was happening inside the brain and the body. So it was like what we can gather from people's behavior, what we can gather from what they're saying, what they, what we can gather about what they're dreaming. And so all of these ways in which the early students of psychology were pulling information out of humans, like they just really limited it to their understanding of the time, which was so much during Freud's time, at least in all of, you know, all of the people that Mm. uh, we don't even name because, you know, their contributions aren't even fully understood. So we have this white male fraud, Freud. Uh Uh-oh, that was a Freudian slip. (laughs) 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 In which they, they, they were creating so much focus on the mind. And, you know, one of his students, Carl Jung, was a lot uh, more interested in the body, but it was just difficult to move the focus there. People were more worshiping, worshiping the mind. That still actually persists to this day. And yet we have all of this evidence that shows the strong mind-body connection. And that when we say mind, it doesn't just mean this like brain up here and our cognitive ability, but all of our somatic cognitive, emotional perception experience. And so you will see researchers like Dan Siegel from Los Angeles at UCLA Mindfulness Institute use the word mind sight, and he's starting to broaden that definition within the scientific community, right? But I struggle with this. Sometimes when I'm writing out, I'm a mental health professional or I'm doing mental health for founders. I just struggle with thinking that is not an encompassing word. Like that is not enough because I'm working so much with the entire human self and so much is happening in the mind and in the body. And there's this beautiful bi-directional relationship. Yes, 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 yes. You know, it's so funny because I think about, you know, back in, oh God, I'm going to really date myself. Back in like 97, right? I was in college. I was majoring in psychology, super passionate about psychology, but something really felt incomplete, right? That's what I felt. Like I love studying psychology. I love studying, you know, all the different sort of prior people, all the science they had, you know, which was very all mind-based, all mental-based. But I always felt like something was missing. Something was quite not complete, which is why I ended up switching majors and then, you know, moving into business, which was like a completely different direction. But I think, yes, it still persists so much today that we're still talking about it and explaining it and looking at things through the this mental lens, through this brain lens, brain chemistry lens, right? I think a lot of people define mental health as relating to brain chemistry, 
And I don't think that we've broadened enough yet, at least not on a a mass view, that really we can't talk about mental health without talking about the mind-body connection and mindfulness and our physical body and our emotional body and all of these kind of pieces that really affect and impact our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, we sort of, you know, thought that we were progressing when we went from thinking of any kind of mental illness, mental disease as a personal problem. Like in the past, it was like, well, this person has got an issue. Something's wrong with them. So then we were moving that narrative to understand, oh, there is a chemical difference in this person's brain. Oh, there's biological components. So it's not a personal character flaw or weakness within this person, but there's this biology that makes this vulnerable. And we felt like that was very inclusive and we were, you know, really getting somewhere with that narrative. And then what it did though, is it landed here in this isolated brain, you know, the brain for some reason has Mm. chemical imbalances and we don't really understand why. And then if you just take these other medications that will influence your brain, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to put some band-aid on those symptoms that are occurring because of an imbalance. That's such a top-down deductive way of thinking, trying to look at the Mm -hmm. symptom and trace it all the way back. What I'm really interested in and am so grateful that during my time as a therapist, which to date myself has been for the past 25 years that I've been in this Mm -hmm. field, is there more and more people are looking at the bottom up, Mm -hmm. what's happening at the root what's happening that's impacting is whether it's an internal experience inside that person's body or an external experience to which they're responding to. There's a whole bunch of neurochemical biological reactivity that occurs. So we're not existing in a vacuum. The brain doesn't sit there on a pedestal with nothing happening to it and giving all the orders. It is receptive to what is happening and all of the neurochemicals that are happening on the neurotransmitters they will shift and change depending on the system giving it orders. The nervous system, our central nervous system, which goes all down our spine and throughout the body. Like, so they say our brain is not just up in our head. It goes into our spinal column. And so there's so much now understanding that our mental health is a bottom up approach to health and wellness. So that's why that mental health is problematic because it is really a mind body health and understanding that when information is taken in, a body has the nerves and the senses, then it develops a response that then it will have a chemical reaction to, or it'll send a message up to the brain that's like, this is dangerous, or this is safe, or this is you know too much stress. And we know that we have all the biological components that don't preserve our happiness, but preserve our safety. So yeah. That means your body is going to do certain things that don't really, doesn't really make sense for the happiest, healthier, healthiest brain out there, but it keeps that person alive. So there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of threads, but I think that what I want to name is the field is shifting for me, my experience of it, based on what I was learning in grad school in the early 2000s, what we were learning there was very much based in the cognitions and in the behaviors. And if we could change people's thoughts and we could change their behavior, then we felt that we could shift the mental health. And what I have come to understand is that the state of the nervous system Mm -hmm. is what tells the story. 
of what those cognitive thoughts are and of what the behavior is. And so the language of the body is just such an important foundation for me of helping myself and my clients establish mental wellness, mind, body, health. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So then to kind of bring it back to the original question, in a simple way, how would you define mental health? Mm -hmm. A simple way, Sonia, you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) I, and I'll be transparent with the listeners, like right now, you know, I want to root down. So to find my source and my answer, I want to root down into my feet. I want to pull back my shoulders. I want to take a deep breath. And I would just ask myself, you know, what is my sense of mental health and wellness. For me, it's about integration. Mm. It's about a mind and a body that is in interdependence with one another. It's bi-directional. Communication is going both ways. And there is an integration and a resonance between all that information. Mm. And that means that even when something dangerous and threatening comes in to the system. It has this united, integrated way in which it can perceive what's happening and then be able to mount a response, right? Is this something that is life-threatening and happening right now and everything knows what to do? Or is, is this safe? And I can go into deeper connection with myself and I can have healthy social engagement. And therefore I can be a human that's both inside of myself and capable of this interrelationship, this connection. And really that is for human beings. Mental health is the ability to connect deep with oneself and in a way that helps us connect with others. Isn't that why we're here? Yes. To be I connection. think the connection, I just hear like a high level of mental health, right? And mental wellness is our ability to connect and respond, right? I think that's the other piece that you touched yes. on is, is how are we responding to the stimulus around us, right? How are we responding to what happens on a daily basis? You know, are we present and able to respond in connection with what happens? Are we shutting down? Are we running away? Are we fighting it? Are we perceiving what happens because we have trauma in our past, right? Like how are we responding to that kind of environment, whatever environment we're encountering at whatever moment, right? I mean, and when I look at that myself, you know, a lot of times I've felt pretty mentally healthy, right? I don't, I don't know if I would ever say I have problems with my mental health. And yet I definitely have times of meltdown. I have times where I can't respond to the stimulus. I feel so overwhelmed. I shut down. I hide. I hide into my Netflix. So, you know, I think this is why this is such an important topic because we are all navigating our mental health, especially in today's environment. I mean, even our children who are faced with so much more uncertainty, so much more disconnection, so much more electronics, right? They are also constantly dealing with mental health issues and challenges. And so this is such a broader topic than we used to think of it in the past. It's such an important topic now. Yes, absolutely. And there's so many things that I'm thinking of as 
I'm hearing you actually name symptoms. So here I am naming mental health as an integration. So when you start to experience overwhelm, insomnia, depression, anxiety, all of those different behavioral and cognitive and sensory sets of symptoms are signals from your mind body, letting you know that that integration is not occurring. Something is happening and those are just giving you that information. A system that is feeling the emotional experiences, sensing through the body, able to hold space, turn that sensation into, oh, that's me feeling tired or that's me grieving the loss of this loved one. And I'm able to allow myself to feel and I trust myself to feel. We're naming things. We're feeling it to heal it. All of this we know even is scientifically backed up that an organism needs to do this. We need to let everything in and feel it and process it. When we're doing that, we're staying integrated and the system is operating well. We can still get stressed out. We can still have a fearful moment and the body is going to amount that defense or respond. But it doesn't get stuck there when we're able to keep allowing the information in and, and trusting ourselves to be with it. What occurs for a lot of individuals is a fear of letting the full experience in mm-hmm. because there's a lot of intensity to being alive. <laughs> and so much now more than ever. <laughs> so much intensity with being alive. And we learn from early age to deny those feelings. I mean, think about babies now. We tell them, which is just such a horrible message that, oh, you know, we just let them cry it out because they're just going to eventually learn that guess what? No one's coming. That's a wonderful message. And so what we're actually teaching, so babies are great at telling you that life is intense Mm -hmm. and they're not always comfortable with it. And then we come in and give them food or give them a nice rub or a bath or change a diaper and then they get soothed. So they fully experience the intensity and then they ask for help. And if those needs are met, then they keep going and growing. Mm -hmm. But we do live in a culture and in a greater society in which a lot of those needs start not being met. And we learn this kind of maladaptive way of being with intensity. And so we begin to shut it out and numb it out don't feel. And that suppression of emotion is exhausting for a system, Mm -hmm. which means it's not able to keep processing and integrating as it should. That's right. So what's really interesting is we have this system, the human body that is miraculous and does so many things. Mm -hmm. And yet we treat our mental health meaning these symptoms that are just alarm bells saying, oh, something's going on. We don't have enough safety. Our needs aren't getting met. We need more space for this. These are all very normal responses to abnormal levels of stress. And our body and mind just signals that. But we have a lot of negative feelings towards it. We have a lot of societal and cultural stigma around not being able to name those vulnerabilities, not being able to feel, right? 
And I'm talking a lot about the individual body, but I will say that as a systems therapist, I'm constantly thinking not just like what this person is doing and thinking about their feelings and their body and their trauma, but what is the message being sent from the outer systems, the family, the institutions, the larger country, the larger world of the human citizenship, right? So we are influenced constantly by what is okay or not okay to do and feel. And then we have our own individual challenges with feeling the intensity of being alive inside our bodies. Yes. It's all interrelated, right? We can't split and compartmentalize the systems. We can't say this individual, you know, just needs to get over it and be stronger. And yet there's all these really broken systems. I feel to be mentally healthy, we actually have to go completely against the grain, right? (laughs) There's a lot of reprogramming or like dismantling systems that actually bring us into that separate the disconnecting. And then this is beautiful work that's coming out recently where they're showing evidence that this legacy trauma, the legacy burdens or what's, you know, trauma that's passed down, intergenerational trauma, the epigenetics, it's not just a memory or a story that's passed down from the family one generation to the next. There's a felt passing on, felt experience and a passing that on through the gene pool in which Certain people are less resilient because they have had ancestor after ancestor after ancestor going through a culture that continues to harm and wound. Yes. And so we know that there's a lot to pay attention to. And we have this tendency to be like, what's wrong with that person? Why can't they keep it together? What's going on? Yeah. And even ourselves, right? Like, you know, when you were talking earlier about what mental health is or looks like. I started to think, does anyone ever experience that all the time, right? Is there anyone who's like fully resilient, you know, isn't completely falling apart, isn't experiencing overwhelm, isn't shutting down, right? Like, is it even reasonable to think that you can get to a place where you're in constant connection or constant integration? Because I think there's so many people that, you know, constantly beat themselves up for not being strong enough, for not being more capable, for getting overwhelmed. And yet I think we have to talk about kind of the humanity of it, right? Like what is realistic in terms of our connection, integration, and mental health. You know, is it always, no matter how healthy we are, going to be an in and an out, a response and an an unresponsiveness? Like, what do you think about that? Yes, yes. I can get all my clients to move from the inner dialogue of what's wrong with me to what is happening to me right now. What's happening? Because my body is giving me signals. My mind is giving me signals. Depression is telling me something's suppressed. There's something that I'm holding, something that's exhausting me, something I'm not feeling or able to move through. Anxiety tells me that there's something too big for me to hold. It's spilling over the edges and I don't know what to do with it, right? These are natural, like you said, kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes life is going to give you something that's really heavy and you don't want to feel. And other times it's going to flood you with all the feelings you can't help but feel. And knowing 
the ability to ask oneself, what's happening to me? And learning not to judge those symptoms. But when there's insomnia, it's, oh, my system is not safe to Mm. sleep. Sleep is very vulnerable. So what's happening with me that there's a perceived threat? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean there is a threat. It could be that I've heard layoffs are coming. I've heard about the recession. You know, the credit card interest rates are going up. And so there is a real threat that there's something happening in that way. But the body and you are not thinking like the body's just like, yeah, your heart rate went up when you read that article. And then I can't go to sleep because we won't be safe. So I guess I really wish that people would think of mental health as learning the language of the body and of the mind Mm -hmm. and to be able to better decipher your needs. Yeah, I love that. I just want to like frame that, right? Learning the language of our body, mind, emotions, right? All the sort of pieces of ourselves. Yeah. And and what was the last thing you said? Because I really love that too. So being able to learn the language of our mind, our body, our emotions, and be able to meet those needs. Meet our needs. Not everyone else's needs. Just our needs. I think that alone puts a lot of people in a more, you know, in a framework of a more mentally unhealthy existence, right? Right. Like how many of us are burnt out or depleted because we're so busy meeting everyone else's needs that we're not meeting our own. Yes. Yes. And we do live in a culture that will push back a lot on this because, I mean, I feel like this is the majority of mm-hmm. my sessions with my clients is they, they're like, okay, I get that. But then I go to work and my boss tells this, or I, you know, I have to do this for school or I have to do this to fundraise. You know, so there's a lot of like, I have to do this. Like the world is not going to stop. And I get that, that you're still operating with pressures and expectations. But the more that you start to learn, it's your own inner dialogue. And how you start to relate to yourself that you have full control over. So who, yes, you're not going to change your, your boss or this or that, that we can let that go. What if on the way to that meeting, when your anxiety is out the roof and you didn't sleep well that night, instead of berating yourself, what the hell's wrong with me? I've got this important presentation. I'm just going to freak out again, or I'm too tired. All that thing. You could just berate yourself all the way to work. Or you could take a couple of deep breaths in the car and you could say, so what's happening? I have a lot of move, a lot of energy moving through my body right now, mm-hmm. but I also feel really tired. And so what are a couple of things I could do? One, I could get more oxygen to my brain. So all the way to work, I could just do some deep breathing mm-hmm. to like bring That's more simple. oxygen because mm-hmm. I'm tired and I'm anxious. So guess what? I'm going to get more oxygen to my brain, which is going to help me feel more alert. And I'm also going to have my heart rate slow down because that's what deep breathing will do. Every time you exhale really, really long, your heart rate slows. And then your body says, oh, my heart rate's down. So there's no threat here. So see the difference of berating yourself. What the hell's wrong with me? Why am I acting this way again? How am I going to ever get myself together to what's happening with me right now, read the signs and then bring some tools. Yes. And you know, it's so funny. Cause I feel like this has been my week, right? Like 
you know, we go in and out of these places and even, you know, being aware, even having lots of tools, we don't always even recognize for a few moments that we're in something and we need to pull a tool, right? And I feel like, you know, for me, I sort of have this really challenging relationship with time. And when I feel, start to feel pressure of time, deadlines, there's so much to get done and I'm, I'm kind of seeing a looming deadline coming at me, I perceive this great threat and I can, I can get into the space where, you know, I'm just stressed about the time, right? It's not, there's like, it's, it's, I'm triggered and my central nervous system is high and my, my heartbeat and I can't breathe. And there's all this stuff happening. And the perception is I just have no time. I'm trapped. There's no time. I'm never going to get it done. And I've been playing with this this week because I've been feeling some of that. And, you know, and then I noticed, okay, if I can just get back into my body, right? If I can just, you know, have a few moments of breathing, right? And then all of a sudden, it's so interesting. It's like a sliding door moment, right? You know, it's like all of a sudden, my perception shifts. And I'm like, oh, I can just not do these things. They're not really that important. Or, oh, I can easily fit this in here, right? Like, it's like, my perception is so different. And I've been going in and out of this place like all week. And so I can really feel you know, if I didn't have these tools and these practices, and if I'd never tried them before, you know, I would just stay in this altered state of, you know, this like, you know, sympathetic nervous system going crazy. And, you know, it really, it really is that simple. It really can just be some simple things to kind of shift that place so that we're more in our body, that we're breathing deeply, and that we we kind of trigger that parasympathetic system so that we can feel more at ease. We can see things from a different viewpoint. Yes. And I love that you name that, that it is a simple shift and yet not an easy one to make immediately. And I think a lot of people put a lot of expectation of like, well, I just can't do that and I should be able to do it. And a lot of my clients who have complex PTSD, so this is layered trauma, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a different experience for them. We're going to learn some basic grounding and presencing in the beginning, just to kind of help them keep remembering. It's like a new neural pathway there's the pathway that just runs away and it's like everything is a is a threat to like helping that person learn, oh, actually that is safe and I'm here, right? So I just want anybody that's listening, any listener that's thinking, yeah, yeah, that works for people not like me to remember that at any stage of where you are, if you've been patterned to have a very strong survival response that kept you safe for many, many years, that we want to befriend that response, not criticize it, give it a lot of love for keeping you alive and safe and start to introduce a new way for you to keep coming back to what's happening to me right now so that I can start to shift that connection and those neural pathways. There's a really beautiful expression from Dan Siegel again, who said, what fires together, wires together. Mm -hmm. So that's the neuroplasticity. Now you've had some wiring in there that's been running on automatic, but with the therapeutic work, especially the body-based. So I'm a big proponent 
if you're doing trauma work, find yourself a body-based professional, somatic psychotherapy. There's a lot of different branches, but that's your overarching umbrella that you're looking for and learning how to come into a different way of being. And just to full circle this all the way to our theme of reclaiming ourselves, mm-hmm. I would say that's the core of the work for anyone, whether it's someone with complex PTSD or someone who's just started to struggle with some depression or insomnia or overwhelm, is what we're doing is learning to ask what's happening to me and return to the present moment, return to self mm-hmm. over and over and over again. We learn different ways to do that. There's different tools, different ways, but we're wiring a new connection. We are firing all of those awareness, those perceptions together so that there is these new connections. So I just really feel like this message is so important for those out there that are thinking, I just struggle. I struggle with my mental health and it's just always going to be the case. The more extreme the symptoms, the more challenging it is to find these, this center, because basically those symptoms are just showing you the extreme of that disconnect and those traumas. And yet returning to your self energy, returning to your most integrated self is where that healing occurs. And I've never met anyone in the thousands of therapy sessions that I've done who doesn't have a self energy. Yes. It's there. And what does that look like, Laura? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what does that mean? Because I, I do think this is at the core of what we're talking about on this podcast and in this episode, right? Is, you know, we're talking about reclaiming ourselves. We're talking about reclaiming the self. So what does the self in there look like? How do we have reference points or recognize or remember self energy? I mean, that right there is a really good podcast, top, you know, episode topic, I think. Like, mm-hmm. what is self energy? <laughs> exactly. Right. It sounds good, but what is it? Yeah. So for me, I have the ability to feel self energy better than I can probably articulate it. And I used to worry about that. I used to think that I wasn't learning something like I better take another training on self energy or self work or parts work because I, I need to know how to teach this. But the more that I've done, the more work I've done is that the self is an energy that is very much a sense of presence qualities that come from my clients when they're accessing self are a sense of curiosity towards what's happening with them, a sense of centeredness, a sense of compassion. Hmm. And I feel it in my body when they start to go there, I can feel it. And I stay in my self energy as much as I can when I'm working with someone who's trying to track that. So I'm in that energy trying to resonate with that self inside of them. And I will track their body. And so they are, maybe their eyes are closed when people, when I ask them to connect, you know, can you find that part inside of you where there's a sense of curiosity? That might be a question or can you find sense where there's a sense of calm? 
then people often close their eyes and they start to notice what they're, what's coming up. And I'll notice their shoulders relax. I'll notice them sit back in their seat or straighten up and their spine lengthens. So our physical body has this lengthening, stabilizing when it's in self, which is good news because you can actually use posture to lengthen the spine to find that sense of self kind of drops down into it. So you notice that gravity can drop into your sits bones, like warmth in the belly. So there's all of these somatic sensations that come with self energy. A lot of people will experience that when they're meditating, they'll notice it in yoga class when they're moving between poses, they'll notice it during Tai Chi because that energy they source to as they move their limbs. So many Eastern traditions have wonderful practices for connecting that self energy. And we all were born with it. We all have it. Yet through like the IFS and the somatic trauma lens, you understand that things start to break apart. Parts of you begin to try to protect vulnerabilities. So there's wounding that occurs. The self can sit and hold that wounding, but we don't yet quite often trust the intensity of life. So we think something bad is happening. And so these protector parts come out, right? To try to keep everything safe. So when clients come into my office, I am not always getting them to that self energy at the very first because they have to develop trust with me and then trust with themselves. But eventually we're able to find it more and more and it becomes a resource for them to be able to come back to that place when that integration isn't happening, when they're dysregulated and these symptoms are getting bigger and bigger. It's a place for them to remember their way back to. Felt and you know sense. it when you get it, right? Yes. Like you, when it happens it's like there's a remembering, a, a yeah, knowing. A knowing. Yeah, when you kind yeah. of tap back in. And, it, and it's amazing how long we can live outside of it. Like, you know, I think some people think, oh, I'm always with myself, you know. Mm-hmm. I always am connected to my self-energy. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing how many years we can live disconnected. Yes. And then when we reconnect, it's like, wow, I didn't even know. You know, I was – thinking the other day about when I first had that realization, which was in college. And I, this woman, I swear, my instructor totally saved my life at that time. And I happened to like pop into a PE class. I just needed an extra PE class. And it was called stress reduction through dance therapy. And she basically taught the language of somatics. Mm. And you know, at first I was kind of like, this is weird, you know. <laughs> right, because you weren't used you know? to learning about the body that way and no. dance through that way. <laughs> and I mean, it was it was a lot of play, which was not anywhere in my, you know, being at that time, you know, my 20s. I mean, I drank a lot. I partied a lot. I worked a lot. You know, this was like a whole different reality. And when it dropped in, when I finally actually felt a connection to the self in one of the classes, 
I remember just sitting there and just bawling. Like I was just in the corner bawling and like I had the realization that for my entire life, as far back as I could remember, I was not sitting in that self-energy. I was disconnected from myself to such an extreme. And in that moment, I felt myself for the first time that I could really recollect, you know, really have a, a cognitive awareness around. And that moment totally changed the trajectory of my life. And and so you, when you get it, when you feel it, you know it. It's something that is familiar. Yes. Yes. I love that you said that. It is familiar. And I do. I see a dawning in my client's eyes, like a recognition. Sometimes there's a cautiousness, like, is that it? And, you know, a fear like, oh, it's going to go away. But you always know it. And the more that you spend time connecting to it, you just, you cultivate it and you make that connection stronger. But we do live in a culture that doesn't teach us about being in the body. Mm-mm. And even our understanding of self, like you said, is often intellectual. Like I know I have self-awareness. I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm feeling, but it's a whole nother layer to drop into what you're really sensing and feeling. And we are sensory creatures. I mean, we are designed to learn through our senses and they are rich. And if we lose one, the other ones become stronger. We are such sensory beings, and yet we live around and in a lot of disconnected spaces and containers. So something that comes to mind is, as we're having this conversation, and so some of my clients will ask, well, then how do I cultivate that, you know, outside of the therapy session? And I know I have named that a lot of the, you know, Eastern medicine traditions are great, like yoga, meditation, Tai Chi. Qigong dance therapy, but also a simple one that people often overlook is simply going out into nature Mm -hmm. because we are vibrational and nature stays on a really beautiful vibrational frequency. So we're not just going out to enjoy the beauty of it, the aesthetics of it, which is awesome, but there's literal vibrational resonance when you are in a forest of trees that you start to feel what's coming from the trees, what's coming from the leaves, what's coming from the roots and all the organisms around. I think people just really underestimate the power of nature to help us reconnect. So I'm a huge fan of forest bathing. And in Texas, it's cedar brush bathing, (laughs) but it even works, even works in cedar. And dance, like you said. And then another one that I really love is sound, sound Mm -hmm. bowls, music that moves you again, Mm -hmm. beautiful vibrational massages. I mean, you're just basically like giving your self energy a nice dose of beautiful resonance. So I just like to remind people it's not as complicated as they might think to just start to get in touch with that. And then of course, the more trauma you have, be very compassionate because you're going to have to befriend a lot of these protective coping mechanisms, if you will, or protector parts in order to actually get to more and more of the self energy. And that's just because those are all 
little external boundaries that have been built up to protect the wounded parts inside of you. Yeah. Oh, look, I feel like we could talk forever. Like there's, there's so many pieces I'd like to pull or so many, you know, deep and really powerful messages here. And, and I guess, you know, before we wrap up, I really, I kind of want to look at or talk about some simple ways that we can start to reclaim our mental health. So, you know, reclaiming our reconnection to ourselves, our connection to the world, like all these listeners who are out there who may be thinking, oh yeah, I could definitely use some support in this area. And of course, I highly recommend seeing Laura, you know, (laughs) if you need a psychotherapist or the many, many number of amazing people who are out there supporting it. But even just as some, some simple steps, you know, is it as easy as just starting to go out into nature? You know, do we start to reclaim our feelings? Like what are some Mm -hmm. kind of simple steps that we can take to start off with to start to reclaim our mental health and, and shift what we're experiencing? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, definitely the, the different activities that I mentioned, I hope that everyone realizes that those can be very inclusive. Those are very much, you can accommodate yourself in some level, even if it's like you can't get out into nature, it works to just look at beautiful images of nature as well. Like that one is a a little bit, it's not as much the vibrational, but it's the, the resonance with that visual, right? So all of those activities. And then I also think that simple question, if you can shift the question in your mind, what's wrong with me? to what's happening to me, what's happening to me, meaning what's happening right now in my environment, what's happening inside of me and listening for all those little signals. Yeah, I'm sad. I'm depressed today. We don't have to blame or criticize depression. We just get that as information. So that shift, that's a mindset shift that can be really powerful. It's like, what's happening with me? And then we move into soothing that like, well, I'm overstimulated. So I need to like turn off all the sounds and just take care of myself for a minute. Or I need to do that deep breathing or I need to listen to music or go out in nature. I think all those activities like come after this question. Mm -hmm. So this question to return to self, stop judging, criticizing, questioning, yourself and why you're feeling what you're feeling and simply ask what is happening to me? What am I experiencing? Then you know the things that need to happen, right? Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. I think that question is really, really important. And then another little expression that we say in therapy a lot is name it to tame it, Mm -hmm. feel it, to heal it. Mm. So if you can name what's happening, then it deescalates the activation, just saying it to yourself or someone else. So what's happening to me, then you name it, that tames it, let yourself feel it. So it moves through. Then you get to stay in a more integrated state and your mental health has much more of a wider window bigger capacity to take in the stress of the world and still be regulating. Yes. And and I have no doubt we're going to unpack more and yes. more of this topic. It's a big topic. And we did say this it to is. everyone, like to unpack something as big as mental health. And there are so many, yeah, little threads that we could have gone off on. Mm. But I hope that 
that what came today was really breaking it down to something as simple as reorienting the way you view mental health. This is an integration you can move towards. And if you're dysregulated and having symptoms, that's a signal. Simple as that. It's just telling you something. And then you can hopefully take action to shift what's in your environment. Maybe it tells you that you shouldn't be in a relationship anymore, or you need to be in a deeper connection, or you need to be at that job or not at that job. I mean, there's tons of things Mm -hmm. that once we start listening, we then can have clarity about what actions to take. Yeah. And and I just want to add to that too, because you know, listening is the first step. If you just listen, if you just want to practice one thing, practice the listening or practice exactly like what Laura said, turning the what's wrong with me question into what's happening, just the listening. That in and of itself has so much impact that you don't even need to worry about the next step, which is taking action or fixing it or changing something or leaving your job or leaving your partner or, you know, whatever else is there. Just the listening has a huge impact. And you can just start there. Yes. Yeah. Just start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, thank you, Laura, for joining me today. This thank is so you. powerful and amazing. Yes. And thank you, listeners. And we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to learn more about this topic, head over to ConsciousAmbition.com. You can sign up for my email list so you never miss an episode. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Ta-da!